0: Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Well, after singing songs like that together, it's hard to be complacent with the gospel. But the reality is that when we're not gathered on a Sunday morning singing rich songs like that, we're off about our business during the week doing this or that or the other thing and our, our focus on the Scriptures, our focus on what Christ has done begins to drift to other things, it can sort of become ho-hum. We, we forget the, the depth of our despair before the salvation of Christ. It's easy for us to think th- that deep down, you know, I'm, I'm actually not that bad. Yeah, I'm a, a sinner, e- easy to admit that part, <laughs> but we sort of lose sight of the specific ways we continue to sin against God. You know, the world would tell you that man is inherently good. That deep down, at, th- at our very core, we are, we are good in who we are. The Bible paints a different picture. The picture that the Bible paints, what what God teaches us is that we were created good. At the beginning, God looked upon His creatures, Adam and Eve, and said that they were very good. So, He made us that way, but we fell. We rebelled against Him, we committed sin, and now that sin curse, our sin nature, Pervades our inner being. In fact, every part of us is affected by the fall. And so, in our core, we are now bent toward evil. It's who we are. We rebel against our God, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's hard to acknowledge this, hard to admit this, but it's a really important reality. It's the truth. Now, what's amazing about that truth is you would think, oh, if that's true about us, then God should not love us. There should be no reason that humanity is still going on in existence if, if we really are bent toward evil in our core. But God's love amazes us, it surprises us, it wrote a story that we never could have imagined or written ourselves, in which God the Creator comes to die for the creature's sin. Our rebellion against Him, this is His love, this is His grace, this is His mercy. We sang it together in the songs this morning. As we dive into Romans chapter 1, we're going to see the important truth, a, a part of the gospel message, which is that we are sinners and we deserve God's wrath. Now, i will try to keep our eyes fixed on the good news as well as we walk through this text, but as you heard in our reading today, this is a lot of bad news. We're sinners and we deserve God's wrath. Now, don't forget the context. We've just last week studied the theme of the book of Romans, right? Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where the Apostle Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation. So it's what God uses to save people. Everyone who believes, in fact. <laughs> Why is it so powerful? Well, Paul answers that question in verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel reveals that God is righteous. And as we enjoyed playing with last week, the term righteous, right? God is not only righteous, but he's righteous to righteously make righteous those who are unrighteous. Right? Yeah. And so in verse 18, He parallels his statement in verse 17. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Notice what he says in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. So why do we need the gospel? Because it brings the righteousness of God. And he's about to explain why that is such a big deal, because we were lost in unrighteousness. And so we desperately needed the righteousness of God increase your awe of the gospel today by understanding the wrath of God on humanity's unrighteousness. This, this is our goal. I think this is Paul's goal as he dives into the wrath of God on sin. It's not that we would just be left there. Remember, he's writing to believers. He's writing to those who have trusted in Christ as Savior. I think Paul wants to grow their appreciation for the gospel the amazing truth that they were deep in unrighteousness and yet God brought them righteousness by faith. His righteousness offered to them because the Creator died for the creature's sin. This is incredible news and it begins with our sin. Why do we so desperately need the righteousness of God that comes by faith What do we need to understand about God's wrath that today will help us worship God even more for what He's done in the gospel? Well, let's answer that question as we work through the text. The Apostle Paul is going to explain to us, I think, in, in maybe three categories, what we really need to understand about the wrath of God that will help to grow our appreciation for the gospel. Number one, we need to understand this. We deserve God's wrath... Because we reject the truth that He has clearly revealed. This is most bluntly stated at the end of verse 20, where the Apostle Paul just kind of summarizes and says, so that they are without excuse. We have no excuse for ourselves. God has clearly revealed some things about Himself, and we rejected that truth. That's what verses 18 through 20 are about. So, let's consider them together. Paul opens, "'For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men.'" The word men there refers to all mankind, humanity. So, it's not just males versus females here. It's a collective term, humanity. We're in trouble. There's two reasons. He mentions it's against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Ungodliness is everything that is opposed to the character of God, his, his goodness, His purity, His glory. And so, anything that's against that, that's not that, that's ungodliness. And then He specifies into unrighteousness. So, righteousness is one of His attributes. Unrighteousness are those things that are, that are the opposite of His righteousness, His purity, His goodness. He always does the right thing. So we're in trouble because of our ungodliness and our unrighteousness. Humanity is in trouble. Specifically, he says at the end of verse 18, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now that begs a few questions that Paul's going to answer in the next verses. What does it mean to suppress the truth? What is this truth that we've suppressed? The Apostle Paul is going to answer each of those questions in verses 19 and 20. So, here's the big problem. Here's the, un, the big unrighteous deed that all of mankind has committed. We've taken the truth about God that He has clearly revealed, and we've rejected it. We've suppressed it, and that is unrighteousness, okay? Verse 19, "'Because what may be known of God is manifest in them.'" That phrase, manifest in them, means it's been revealed among them. So, the emphasis is not so much that it's inside of us. Certainly, part of that's true. M- mankind, each of us, was created with a conscience from God. That's there even before we become believers. So, so part of uh, the way God created us is to have that conscience that, that helps us to see to some degree right and wrong. But really, this is just saying that God has revealed Himself among mankind. It's, there, there are things that can be known about God. God has, as He says here, shown it to them. Now, to just pause in verse 19 for a second, you need to notice something interesting about Paul's writing here. He begins to use the third person. Did you notice that? That it may be known in them, for God has shown it to them. He'll continue to do that all the way through verse 32, the end of chapter 1. And so, what he's referring to here, he's kind of stepped back from the believers he's writing to, and now he begins referring to all of mankind, and he's very gently let the believers sort of be innocent bystanders. It's almost as if we're off to the side reading about what horrible mankind has done. And it's very gentle of Paul to do that. But lest we forget, look quickly with me at chapter 2, verse 1, when the third person changes to the second person. The Apostle Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 1, "'Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things.'" So, uh, as we read this, you'll hear the word them a lot and maybe begin to feel like we're all sort of standing on the side going, yeah, those horrible humans, I can't believe they would do that, right? But don't forget, as soon as we start pointing the finger at those other horrible humans (laughs) who did those horrible things, chapter two comes. Oh, is that you standing on the sideline judging them over there? Yeah, you're without excuse too, right? So, we got to remember humanity includes all of us now. There are some significant things that change when we become believers and I'll point those out as we work through the text. All right. Thanks for that brief aside. Back to verse 20. So we might ask the question in verse 20, well what is this truth that mankind has rejected? Verse 20. For since create the creation of the world his god's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So, Paul's pointing out that in creation, since God created the world, some things about God can be clearly seen, that can be known. And even points out that without creation, these things would be invisible. We wouldn't be able to know these things. But God has revealed them in creation. And it's really interesting. He says specifically being understood by the things that are made, meaning creatures, God's creatures, can, we are able to understand these things about God. Now, here he just points two things out about God. He calls it his eternal power. That's that God's power has no end. He has limitless power. And so we can look at creation, and even the more we learn about the world and the universe, it becomes pretty clear. Uh, Yep, God has eternal power, unlimited power. It's clearly written around us. Another thing that's clear, He is divine, meaning He's different from us, (laughs) He's set apart. All right, it doesn't take a, a creature very long to, to look around, you and I, to look around and realize, no, wait a second, I don't know how to make a tree. I can plant a seed in the ground. I can't even make it grow. In fact, I can try and fail. I don't know any other humans who can do that. So the one who made this world is different. Not only does he have unlimited power, but he's on a different plane. He's Divine, right? So these things can be clearly seen in creation. Since God created the world, one of the reasons He did that was to reveal things about Himself. It's revelation, it's knowledge. And man has suppressed that truth. We've rejected it. What could be known about God, we've denied. This is one of the great sins of mankind our suppression of truth. It's the unrighteousness that God is. Uh, through Paul, standing against here in this passage. Is it wrong of God to be wrathful upon us for rejecting the, the general revelation that we see in creation? Is it wrong of God to be wrathful? No, it's evil of us to reject this truth about Him. We are His creatures. He is the Creator. And so it should be clear to us in creation that I didn't make all this, There's a divine being, an all-powerful one who did make this. I am a creature in the midst of this creation. I have some accountability to Him as creator. Those things are clear. And I'm accountable to respond to God in a positive way based on those things. And it's not wrong of God to have wrath against that evil. John Stott says this, the wrath of God is almost totally different from human anger. It does not mean that God loses His temper or flies into a rage or is ever malicious, spiteful, or vindictive. In fact, the alternative to wrath is not love. In this case, the alternative to wrath is neutrality in the moral conflict. And God is not neutral. On the contrary, His wrath is holy. It's holy hostility to evil. His refusal to condone it or come to terms with it is His just judgment upon it. In fact, as we learn in Scripture, love abhors what is evil and upholds what is good. So the wrath of God upon evil is actually part of His love and goodness to punish evil. So we do indeed deserve God's wrath. We do indeed deserve to be judged by Him, because we've rejected the truth that He has clearly revealed. We like to make excuses in life. You've experienced this before. You've come up with excuses before, I bet. You see, when things happen that we're ashamed of, uh, our first thoughts often go to some kind of explanation, why, well, it's not my fault, or I didn't do it, or whatever. Some of you know that I used to work at a college as the dean of students, and so I was in charge of student activities and dormitories and, uh, and uh, when it came up, disciplinary issues and things like that. So I had all those things kind of under my umbrella as the dean of students. And uh, for the most part, things went really well, but uh, towards the end of the school year, there was just this like little thing of, you know, ah, it's the end of the school year, I got to get something in Uh, you got to do something before the school year ends to rebel against the school, right? And so there was always this little kick at the end of the semester. And And I usually knew it was coming. It was right before commencement. In fact, this is kind of funny, but it's always the night before commencement. It's like clockwork. And uh, so it was, indeed, the night before commencement, the very last day of the semester, and uh, I was walking around campus uh, just checking on things and walking through the, the building uh, where the commencement was going to be held itself, making sure that everything was in order in there before I moved on to the next place, and I hear this pitter-patter on the roof of this large building, I'm like, well, that's odd, it's either a very large bird Uh, or I don't know what, you know, and so I began began thinking to myself, well, I know what night it is, I know that tomorrow's commencement, so I bet there are some students up there. Uh, So I happen to know how to get up on the roof myself, so uh, I scurried up there, what, you assume? (sighs) So I scurried up onto the roof and uh, snuck up on these students who had found their way up on the roof, and oh man, one of my favorite moments as a dean of students, I surprised them, hey guys, what's going on? You know, I kind of and they just like jumped and turned around, they did not expect to see me up there with them, and uh, I'll never forget, one of the students' first responses was like, oh, are we not supposed to be up here? No, actually. Yeah, yeah, you're not supposed to be. Here. Not only are you breaking curfew right now, but you know, you're not supposed to be up here on the roof of this building. So why don't we head back to the dormitories, you know, and so they all they all left uh, the rooftop. It was just a, uh, an experience that reminded me how quickly we like to make excuses. We like to claim that we didn't know. Oh, are we not supposed to be up here? Yeah, actually, no, you're not. Some things don't need to be stated, do they? Some things are obvious. No, you shouldn't be doing that, oh, okay, well, now that I know, thank you, right? We like to make excuses. What the Apostle Paul is pointing out here with our rejection of God, with our rejection of us knowledge of Him is actually that we are without excuse. It will not stand before a holy God at His judgment to say to Him, oh, was I not supposed to reject you? Oh, You're the creator? Oh, I was supposed to submit the I didn't had no idea. No, it will not stand. There's no excuse. He has made himself obvious in creation around us. We know, as his creatures, we know, we can understand. He made all things and we're accountable to him. We deserve God's wrath because we reject his truth, the truth that he has clearly uh, revealed. How can we know God in creation? We've mentioned a few things already. Uh, the, the infinite universe, the stars in the sky, the complexity of the human cell, uh, that, the fact that food has flavor, gigantic sequoia trees, the human eye, which we don't fully even know how it works. There's, there's point after point after point we could make that creation is beyond us, right? And yet we reject this truth. This comes up in all sorts of forms in our day and age, denying God's existence altogether or or just claiming that we can't know. It's clear right here. We can know and understand. Ignoring our consciences, knowing that God exists and created us but not seeking more information about Him. We deserve God's wrath because He is clearly revealed uh, Himself to us in creation. Now, as believers, we have repented of this kind of thinking. This is what, part of what salvation is. It's us turning from our sinful thinking and trusting in Christ as Savior, admitting that we did indeed sin against God, and that we want to worship Him again. We as believers have only escaped God's wrath by the payment of Jesus Christ on the cross and by the granting of God's righteousness in faith. Next, in verses 21 through 31, we're going to see a second thing that we really need to understand about the wrath of God. And I've tried to summarize it this way in our second point. We experience God's wrath because we exchange the worship of God for idolatry. This flows right out of what we've just talked about in creation. The fact that creation reveals that there's a God... Who has eternal power and he's not like us. He, he made us. That leads to the fact that, hey, I, I have some accountability to him. I need to figure out what that is. Right? That's, that's what should come from that. But the Apostle Paul is saying that when we suppress that truth, when we rejected that truth, we actually commit idolatry. Because to go after any other thing except the Creator, is to go after creation, a creature, something made, and is therefore idolatry. Worship of anything but God is idolatry, so to reject Him is to commit idolatry. We experience God's wrath because we exchange the worship of God for idolatry. In this longer section, again, I mentioned it's verse 21 through 31, the Apostle Paul is going to break down uh, how it is that we experience God's wrath. How, how is God's wrath played out in life today? We understand that God's wrath has a few aspects to it, right? Uh, we see God's wrath when uh, government authorities punish evil okay, that's something a sovereign God has put in place. That's one evidence of God's wrath. We are going to see God's wrath at the end of time, at the judgment day, when He judges all evil. But actually, in this passage, we're looking at how the wrath of God is revealed today. And it's revealed in that He turns sinners over to their sin. I want you to notice, before we dive into this, Uh, three parallel verses. You'll see it in verse 24, first of all. What does it say? Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Now turn to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Now notice verse 28. And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Those three phrases are actually exactly the same in the original text. And it's this description of how we see God's wrath today. There comes a point at which God says, he, he sort of stops holding us back. It's okay, I'll hand you over to what it is you're desiring. You want sin? Then you can go get it. And this giving us over to sin is the way we see the wrath of God right now. And it leads this spiral downward, which is what we're going to read about in verses 21 through 31. We become blind. We we no longer can see clearly. We believe a lie. We're deceived. I mean, there's all sorts of things that play out as a result of this, uh, of God handing us over to our sin. So, let's quickly work through these. We're going to try to keep moving. There's so many things we could say in these verses. I'll, I'll try to uh, uh, just whittle it down to the the main things we need to mention as we go through these. In verses 21 through 23, we notice the first exchange that takes place. It says this, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fool and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and forfeited animals and creeping things. So the first description here describes an exchange that took place. I tried to highlight the word at the beginning of verse 23. That word changed or exchanged comes up three times in this section of verses. It's the other side of God's handing us over to our sin, our action was to make this exchange. Think of it as a trade. Think of it as a a, a switching of two things, a reversal. So, this is our great sin. We made this reversal. And it's described in verse 23 as what we would call idolatry. We changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made by man. Instead of worshiping God, who has revealed Himself in creation, We chose idolatry, and the path goes downward. We worshiped images made in man's likeness, and then birds, which is like the highest flying form of creature anyway, and then to four-footed beings which walk on the earth, and then to creeping things which crawl on the earth. It's just this downward progression of worship. As soon as we decide not to worship our Creator, we commit idolatry. We make this exchange. We exchange worship of God for idolatry. And this is our big sin, and that's the reason three times it says that God gave them over. God handed them over. You want to worship something else? Okay. See where that takes you. So in 21 through 23, we have this first exchange, idolatry, and it's clear, again, that we have no excuse, right? Verse 21 reviews, we did not glorify God. Unthankfulness is interestingly pointed out here. One of the first signs that we're worshiping something other than God is our hearts are not thankful to our Creator. Watch out for unthankfulness, and then if you find unthankfulness in your life, search out that idolatry, right? an early sign of that. We were not thankful. We became futile in our thoughts, right? When we begin worshiping something else, when we make that exchange, we actually become blind. We actually can't think clearly. We can't fully understand reality because to reject the Creator is to believe a lie about everything around us. Make sense? We completely begin to deceive ourselves. If we we take God out of the picture or try to, then everything we see and think and perceive is now twisted. It's different. It's not right. It's a lie. And so you see that progression. Our foolish hearts then are darkened. We love darkness rather than light. We think we're wise, as verse 22 points out. Yeah, we got this figured out. Oh, you believe in God? That's the old way of thinking. Get get up to speed here. Right? We profess to be wise, but that very profession itself reveals that we are foolish. We, we fall further and further down into our idolatry. And so our first... Uh, response of God is seen in verse 24, therefore God gave them up to uncleanness and to the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. God gave us over to uncleanness, and that word uncleanness is often connected with sexual sin, and I think this would be just a broad heading for all kinds of, of sexual sin. Um, the lust of the heart, this is literally the, the follow your heart kind of thinking. Uh, whatever desire pops into your mind or into your heart, sure, try it, Go for it. Follow your heart. This is idolatry. And as a result, we dishonor our bodies among ourselves. There's this dishonor that comes. This, this body made in the image of God participates in dishonorable things. And that itself is the punishment. Verse 25 points out another exchange. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Again, it's that same description of the change from worshiping God to worshiping creature. And it's a lie. It it, it sets us up on, on a wrong foundation from the very start the Apostle Paul is so strong in his own desire to worship God. I love that verse 25 ends. It's like like Paul couldn't make that statement. We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And he's just like, okay, I got to worship him who is blessed forever. Amen. And he puts that in there. I love it because he is. He's the creator. He's the one we worship. We are the lowly, small creatures. And so to worship the creature rather than the creator, verse verse 25, oh man, it struck me. Even as we were singing, I I love the songs we sang today. Um, I don't know if I can pull it up just off the top of my head, so I'm going to open to one of them here. Alas and did my Savior bleed. It says this in stanza three, when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. Verse 25 says that our sin was to uh, worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. Do you see the depths of God's love? Our sin was to reject the Creator and to worship creatures, ourselves included. And our Creator so loved us that He came to die for His creature's sins. Catch that. Wow. So, verse 26, we see the response of God again. For this reason, God gave them to vile passions. Now, not just general uncleanness, general sexual sin. Now, He focuses in on what we could call vile passions. It means twisted things, things that go directly against nature. Okay? And He's going to describe it. We read them together earlier. Uh, So, in 26 and 27, we have mention of this desire for women with women or men with men. And do you notice how he points out, which is exchanging the natural use for what is against nature. Now, sometimes we use the term, term, it's in my nature, to refer to our sin nature. But the term is used here in terms of how God made things. We're still in the context of God as creator, how he made the world to work. And so in this section on vile passions, we're talking about things that are against his created order. That's what he means by against nature. It's very clear in God's created order that God made man and woman to go together. Right? Very clear. And one man and one woman for life is what's revealed to us in Scripture. And in these texts here, we just see how that has become twisted because we have believed the lie that we can worship ourselves. And so it results in all sorts of horrible things. And I want you to notice in verse 27 that it's not only this twisted activity But it's the desire for it in our hearts as well. It says in verse 27, their lust for one another, meaning the desire of it is wrong too. It's backwards. It's against nature. It's not the way God made us to be. And so it goes on in verse 27 that as a result of this sin, woman with woman and man with man, says that God... Allowed them to receive the penalty of their error which was due. Like we've been seeing in this text, the wrath of God is revealed in these verses. In this case, it will come at judgment day, but in this case, it's by handing us over to our sin and letting us experience the consequences of our sin. And that's what verse 27 emphasizes as well. Verse 28 continues, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. There's another handing over. This time in 28 through 31, we're going to think about those things that are inhuman. A debased mind is, is this sense that it's, it's lowly. It's, it's, you know, all sense of honor and respect has just disappeared from this debased mind. And so the things he mentions in this section are, are things that are inhuman. They're, they're relational sins, things that we should know better. We should not treat other people this way. And so these things are also called not fitting at the end of verse 28. And so these lists I probably won't describe every single word here. But verse 29 points out that they're, they're filled with all unrighteousness. Just filled with it. All kinds of it, right? So even the the list of words is not the crucial part here. Sexual immorality, which was already mentioned in a sense, is not in all of your texts, but some of them have that. Wickedness, set on doing evil. Covetousness, right? Desiring something somebody else has. Maliciousness. This is a, a desire to do evil against others. At the end of verse 29, we have another set here. It's full of the following things, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. We have another transition at the end of verse 29. They are whisperers, that's uh, that's like gossiping. Backbiters, that's like talking down about other people while they're not around, right? Uh, Haters of God violence right these words are clear proud boasters inventors of evil disobedient to parents that one's in there too why because it's against god's created order from the beginning right we're taught children obey your parents and so even that comes up here it's a form of idolatry isn't it what are we choosing when we choose to disobey i don't want to do what god says right I want to do what I want to do. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who? We'll pause there. We're going to talk about 32 at the end. So that's a long list and a discouraging list, right? And if you're honest with yourself, which I hope you are, you could find things you've done in that list. Because these are the sins that we commit, the sins that result from our sin nature, from our twisted view of reality without God. We exchanged the glory of God, the holiness, purity, and righteousness to, to go our own way and do our own thing. And it's backwards. It's sinful. It's vile, as Paul says. It's a debased mind, as he points out. It's an exchange that's ultimately unreasonable. And that's the sense of this list It's like when you understand that God exists and His created order for the earth, Paul's trying to point out to us that that reality, the holiness of God and His righteousness and creation, that we are His creatures, just all of these things become absurd. They're, They're just against the created order. Why would we do them? But at the same time, we have to admit that we have chosen to rebel against Him, and so these things do come up in our lives even though the exchange is unreasonable. You know, we like to think of idolatry as something outside of ourselves, something that other, other people commit. Uh, maybe you could think of uh, Buddhism, for example. There's uh, one of the relics in Buddhism is actually a two-inch long discolored tooth. Uh, The eye tooth, which I guess is one of them up here towards the front. It is revered by 400 million Buddhists as the most sacred object on earth. The tooth is supposed to have been reclaimed from Buddha himself after going through his funeral pyre in 543 B.C. The tooth today sits upon a golden lotus in the glorious temple of the tooth, In candy, salion. It is surrounded by rubies and tons of flowers, and each year, a hundred thousand faithful Buddhists come from many countries to gaze at the sacred tooth. They bring gifts of gold, silver, and jewels to place within the temple. As those who have trusted in Christ as Savior and believe in God as the one true God, creator of the universe, we We read something like that and and we think to ourselves, that's crazy. How could they worship a tooth? How could they bring gifts to this yellow discolored thing that they don't even know if it's from Buddha in the first place? How could they worship one who's dead? We worship a God who's alive and we ask all these questions, right? It's crazy. And from The perspective of the reality that God has created, yeah, it is crazy. But we have to remember every sin is idolatry. And so when we look at other sins of idolatry and say that's crazy, we have to remember that it's crazy for me to stop worshiping God so that I can get what I want instead. It's crazy but I do it. It's idolatry. Every sin is idolatry. And this is where this passage just takes us down to the depths to see the reality of what we've done against our holy, almighty, eternal Creator. His creatures, I, rebelled against Him. And the Creator died for my sin. This is what we've done. And God is right for us to experience His wrath because of the exchange that we made. Now, remember, the the we in this passage, the we that I've been using refers to humanity as a whole. It refers to humanity before salvation. And I want you to understand that while we can commit these sins, even today, we can still commit idolatry, I want you to understand that something in this text is not true of us today. We today do not experience the wrath of God. He does not hand us over to our sin. There's a truth in Christ that He holds us forevermore in His hand. So that aspect of verses 21 through uh, 31, I want you to understand clearly, if you are a believer you do not experience that aspect of God's wrath where He comes to a point and says, okay, I'm turning you over to the sin you want to pursue. We were there before we got saved. That's where we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Okay? So we've been there. But now if we've trusted in Christ, He never lets go of us. I just want you to be clear on that. Okay, He holds us fast forevermore even if we keep committing idolatry. Why? How can he do that? Because an infinite God, the one with eternal power and divinity, knows all things, right? So when he chose to save me, he knew the future acts of idolatry I was going to commit. I didn't know them yet. He knew them. And he had those paid for on the cross as well. So that even as I commit them, uh, did you notice the words in depth of mercy? so good. That even as I sin, there's my advocate above. At the Father's throne, where His wrath is, from His heaven, right? There He is at the Father's throne, showing His wounds, saying, I paid. I paid for that one. That creaturely idolatry the Creator paid for. And He's my advocate. So, so friends, if you've trusted in Christ, this, this never will happen to you. He will not turn you over to your sin, okay? Okay rest in that. There's such joy in that. But remember that this is what humanity without Christ is experiencing. There's a blindness there and there's a compassion that can come with that too. Not that their sins are okay, but that that's where I was because before God gripped me and held me, right? That's where we were. That's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2 tells us to be gentle as we correct those in opposition. He says, uh, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so we go to sinners as fellow sinners who've been saved by God's grace and with compassion and gentleness, we say, oh, please come and know the salvation of Christ. Your Creator has paid for your sins, and He wants relationship with you. There's such hope in that. This also helps us because as we experience twisted things, as we see around us those who experience twisted things, whether that's same-sex attraction or gender confusion or even gender transition of some kind or identity uh, struggles that people around us face. We can approach them with holding two things true at the same time, that it's wrong and that it's evil and that it's a part of uh, the choices we've made as rebellion against God, but that also there's a God who loves them and has provided salvation. As Christians, this helps us too, because even if we, it may be that somebody here today has experienced some kind of same-sex attraction, that thought has popped into your heart or into your mind, and you've wondered, wow, is this, is this part of who I am, or is this, you don't need to be surprised by that. That's part of what we live in, in this fallen world. Of course, our desires are going to be twisted don't ever follow your heart. It's full of all sorts of stuff. So those things come up. You have a thought like that or you wonder that or your mind goes off this direction or you like, get it out of there, yeah. But don't like, oh man, who am I? No, it is who you are. This is part of our sin nature. And then run back to the truth of God's Word. Ah, this is not how God made me. His Word clearly reveals how He made me. And there's a God who loves me. Friend, I want you to know today, maybe you're considering these things yourself. I want you to know that changing your identity or pursuing the desires of your heart will will not bring you satisfaction and joy. It can only be found in finding a right relationship with your Creator. The love that you seek, you'll find in Him. He made you and He loves you. He, he wants to help you. He's given His Son, in fact, to pay for your sin. And I want you to know that there's hope, that there's a family of God, that it, when you trust in Christ, you, you gain brothers and sisters who will choose to love you over and over and over again, because that's what God has chosen to do for us. That there's hope and there's healing, that He can change your desires, that He has paid for all your sins on the cross, that there's an eternal home in heaven with Him. You see, come to your Creator. He loves you. All of this vile, twisted debaseness comes from our sinful choice to reject God and commit idolatry. And we come to the final conclusion in verse 32. We see number three this morning that we face death. We face death under God's wrath because we willfully promote evil. Not only have we done these things, but we encourage others to do them as well. We laugh when they do. We we pat them on the back. We think it's okay. We've returned, of course, to our we of all humanity. So remember that. Keep that in mind. This is what Paul is talking about. All of humanity faces death under God's wrath because we willfully promote evil. He says it in verse 32. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And that word, that word approve um, is not merely just like not doing anything on the sideline. That's not what it means. Approve actually means like encouraging. So he's talking about those who, who promote evil, who willfully do it themselves and promote evil. And the truth is, this is what humanity has done in rebellion against God. And what comes up in verse 32, that's, that's new information for us, is a clear part of the gospel here, is that we are deserving of death. We're deserving of death. Separation from God. Part of that separation has already happened, It's described in the text, God gave them over, separation from God. But here he's talking about eternal separation from God. Forevermore, removed from a right relationship with God. We deserve death. We face death under God's wrath because we willfully promote evil. Friend, I want you to know today if you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, that you are a sinner, I don't mean to isolate you. Hopefully, it's been clear to you that everybody in the room is a sinner. We've all, in some way or another, sinned against God, our Creator. That sin, it's not just a little lie, or or a bit of jealousy, or anything like that. It's actually idolatry, Because when I choose to disobey God, I choose to obey somebody else, me. It's worship of me. That idolatry, that rejection of God, even if it was in just a little white lie, we might say, or just a a little bit of jealousy against somebody else, or just some discontentment here, that idolatry against the singular creator of the universe, my creator, deserves my death, your death, your eternal separation from God. Scripture describes that as the lake of fire, a place where we will experience eternal torment for our sins against God. In this life, it's the natural consequences of our sin, but after the judgment day, it's eternal torment for our sin. Friend, I want you to know that God, your Creator, the one who made you and loves you, has made a way for you not only to be forgiven, to be cleansed of your sins, but also to be granted His righteousness. So that you're you're not left just blank, needing to, to fill yourself with good works, but instead you're actually made qualified for His eternal kingdom, His righteous kingdom. So then, you would come to Judgment Day with an entirely different experience. You'd be welcomed into His eternal heaven. The question is, how could such a thing happen? How could sinners like us, who made the choice not to worship God and to worship something else, how could we be accepted by God again? Our Creator sent His Son, Jesus, His divine Son, to become a man. Jesus lived a sinless life, making Himself the perfect sacrifice, a spotless sacrifice. When He went to the cross, He was innocent. He'd never done a thing wrong, and yet He was put to death so that He could take upon Himself the sins of the whole world. And that means your sin and my sin, the Creator dying for the creature's idolatry. But our Creator did not remain dead. He went to the grave and for three days was there and rose again just as He said, proving for all of history that He conquered our sin and our death. The price indeed was paid in full and God accepted it and showed it by raising His Son to life again. And Jesus then ascended to our Creator's right hand, where that gospel salvation has now been proclaimed to the whole world, to you here today. So that if you would place your faith in Jesus, who died in your place and rose again, God offers you not just cleansing, but righteousness and acceptance into his family and citizenship in his eternal kingdom because you've been called righteous by the work of Jesus Christ. All of that by faith, because we could never be worthy of it. That's what Romans 1 is all about. We could never be worthy of it, we could never earn it, we could never even come close. It's just off the table. But God's grace has given us the opportunity to find forgiveness and righteousness by faith. Friend, would you trust in Christ as Savior today? Would you have the the, the blindness torn away from your eyes and begin seeing the world around you as it really is? In a right relationship with your Creator? Would you find the love of God proved in the cross? find joy and find hope, find life, this is what God is offering to you because your Creator loves you. If you have trusted in these things, then rejoice. And if you're thinking about trusting in these things, then remember that God's power is great. I love the words of 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? God can't accept our unrighteousness there. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, oops, that's all of us, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to the next line. And such were some of you. (laughs) Such were all of us. But you were washed, You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. It's all a work of Christ. Would you come to Him in faith today? And if you have, I encourage you to walk in fellowship with Him. You see, sin in the life of the believer just becomes more and more absurd. We have relationship with God. I know that Jesus paid for my sin. Why would I go back to it anymore? And so when God helps you to see your sin, oh, turn away from it right away. Confess it, forsake it, and walk in the light again because it's all been paid for on the cross. We need to understand God's wrath on humanity for our unrighteousness because it increases our awe of the gospel. Thank you, Father, for what you've done in Christ. Let's close in prayer. Holy Father, we do not deserve to call you Father. We don't deserve to come before your throne right now. Right now, <laughs> Jesus is there. And his blood, his payment is the reason I can talk to you at this moment and call you Father. It's a privilege I don't deserve Thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for these here today who who have trusted in Christ as Savior, who've experienced your grace and your mercy. Oh, humble us, Father. May we remember the the absurdity of our sin and, and resist and fight idolatry with all our beings that we might live lives that are faithful to you. We confess we can't do it without Jesus' help. Oh, we need you. We need you. We pray for those here today who are still living under the blindness of their sin. They're under your wrath even today because they've not trusted in Christ. Oh, Father, you're so merciful. Would you you bring them to saving faith in Christ even today? Would you draw them to trust in the one who died for their sins and rose again so that they could be restored to you We don't deserve it, but you're so kind. Show your grace and your mercy and your kindness by saving some even today, we pray. Thank you for the gospel. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to God be the glory.